This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. It's awesome being back again with, it's been a running theme. I went to Podcast Movement this past summer, and at Podcast Movement, I actually got to meet some really cool podcasters, some bigger names, and I'm happy to say I have a bigger name on today, and I got to meet him in person. Today's guest is Greg Clunas, and he runs the Tiny Leaps, Big Steps, I... <laughs> Tiny leaps, big changes. That's right. I always I have it saved, and I always just type it in, and auto fills for me. Yeah, it's a big enough podcast, but it was really cool. I got to meet Greg in person at Podcast Movement, and that is really a good reason to come to the different conventions and shows is to actually talk to somebody, look at them eye to eye, and say, "Hey, what are you all about?" So, how are you doing today, Greg? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Also. I would say that it's a little too kind to call me a bigger name, but I appreciate it. Well, not really. <laughs> if I recall at Podcast Movement, you were a presenter? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a fun time. That was my first time presenting. Okay, so so I'm guessing you're not a newbie. <laughs> good point, good point. So I've been podcasting for about four and a half years now. Um, multiple different shows. So I've, I've hosted four or five shows myself. And uh, worked with clients over that period of time. So I guess I'm not completely new, but I'm no Dave Jackson. Now, let's look at your uh, podcast journey because I, I am very curious about that. When I met you, you said something that really stuck in my head. And you said that if you didn't have the rapid success that you did with your more recent show, you wouldn't have kept doing it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because... I've I've had that thought a lot. So I've been hosting Tiny Leaps for about two and a half, uh, almost three years now. And I've had that thought a lot because I am naturally the type of person who uh, I have an idea for a project. I move very, very quickly and get it out into the world. And then somewhere along the line, I lose interest and, and get bored. And, and I just want to move to the next project and start something else. Like I love that process of taking something in my head and turning it into a real thing that that exists and people can listen to or consume or or, or use or whatever it is. Um, and I'll be honest, when I launched Tiny Leaps, it was one of three or four things that I was doing at the same time, like three or four other projects that that I, I was launching around the same time. So I, I said that because I love the show and I love... Uh, that I have spent this much time with it. It's it's the first thing that I've spent this much time with, and it's allowed me to go much deeper than I've ever been able to on anything. But I do know that in those first six, eight, 12 months, had it not popped in the way that it did, uh, that, that same pattern would have probably played out. I would have gotten bored at some point. I would have found a reason to move to the next thing. And I would have stuck with podcasting. Like that has become my life. And, and it's an industry I care so much about. It's, it's one of the only things that allows us to have a voice in a really, really major way. And so it would have been a different podcast or serving the, the community in some other way. But I don't know that I would have kept doing this specific show. So essentially, you like to build, but you hate maintaining. A hundred percent. I am. I don't know if anyone out there has read the book Rocket Fuel. Uh, it's a fantastic book, very short read. It explains the difference between uh, what the author calls visionaries and integrators. 
And the integrator's job is the one who maintains and and filters the visionary's stupid ideas and allows them to sort of <laughs> be put in that position to create things and and to to be an artist. And that is what I am ultimately is uh, an artist. I I want to take everything, regardless of if it's a business, a podcast. A, uh, I recent re- recently released a, a music project, like whatever it is. I want to turn it into something that exists in the world. Are you a fan of Apple? Yeah, I I mean, yes and no. So I'm not a I'm I recently switched to Android uh, about a year ago. Um, I'm debating going back, but in general, I I like Apple as a company and as as a brand. I like what they do. Steve Jobs and Tim Cook personify exactly what you were talking about. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now, I have other issues with Steve Jobs, but personality wise, that is a hundred percent. Yeah, but I mean, Steve Jobs is a complete person, just like Bill Gates is a complete person. And that I'm speaking in the role of being CEO of Apple, the company, not his home life with the daughter and things like that. Right, right. But I I think that's an interesting thing. And that tells me you definitely have an entrepreneurial mindset or visionary mindset, however you want to put it. Yeah, that was... um... Entrepreneurship is interesting to me because when I was younger, I never thought about it that way, but that that was what I was doing. So I was the kid that uh, growing up, I had a lot of older siblings, and so I inherited pretty much all of their stuff, their school supplies, pencils, clothes, so on and so forth. And um, because I had so many older, like I have, I have seven seven siblings, so and I'm the youngest. Wow. Um, and, and so <laughs> okay. because I had so many, I always had way more than I could ever possibly use. Uh, and I'm the youngest by a good degree. So there was no like slightly older sibling that that was also sharing it. As a result, uh, one day I noticed at school that a lot of kids would forget like pencils, pens, like su- supplies on test day when they needed it the most. And And so I started on test days selling pencils and selling erasers and selling pens and and notebooks and and things like that and absolutely killed it if i say so myself it was a fantastic business (laughs) model uh sort of uh captured these people at the moment of their highest need um Mm. and uh like that that was that was who i was growing up was always looking for those opportunities to to make a buck and and uh fill a need obviously i wasn't thinking about it that way but but thinking back that's what i did so it's interesting now that i am an entrepreneur and that i i do build things it's interesting to see that same thing play out it's interesting you were talking about that as a kid i had a um a previous guest and he actually um patrick mcfadden he was a bit of an entrepreneur too is he discovered that Sam's Club had big bags of variety of candy and he could get his mom to buy the candy. So then he sold all the candy to all the kids in the uh, park he lived. Mm-hmm. Well, then it went a little bit further and all the kids were dropping the wrappers all around that park. And so then he charged the landlord for cleaning up the park. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you're to that degree, but I was going to point out one thing. Um, you may have made a bit of a mistake stake on your podcast with that mindset oh yeah yeah most entrepreneurs build things that they can then sell and move on Mm -hmm. it's really hard to sell yourself 
because you have to do the podcast. The podcast is you. It's your yeah. identity. Yeah. And I actually think maybe that's good. Maybe you backed yourself into a corner to where you could grow internally because you were sort of trapped in that. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. And so how I've always thought about podcasting and content in general is less so building a business and more so building an asset. Uh, so can I sell the podcast? Probably not. I'm sure it, it could theoretically be possible, but there wouldn't be that much value in me doing that. However, I do now have an audience and an email list and uh, it's turned into a book and it's turned into so many other things that it has served its purpose as an asset that allows me to then build other things on top of it to to much more easily sell them. Um mm. And so that was my thought process going into it from the, the start was that that's that's its role rather than me building a, a product and, and flipping it. Um, but to your point, that doesn't naturally jive with my my default approach to things, which is get in and get out. Right. And now what was the um, thesis behind Tiny Leaps? So it all started with um, I... I've been consuming self-help and personal development content since I was 13, 12 or 13. And uh, so I've, I've been I've been a part of that world for a very long time. And uh, I started noticing, as I'm sure many others have, about six, seven years ago, it started to become much more of an industry uh, where everyone and their grandmother was a life coach. Everyone mm-hmm. had, had some degree of expertise that they claim to have like it started to turn into this thing where people were starting to sell this message of hey you have to follow your passion meanwhile they happen to to be passionate about helping other people find their passion like and and that's what their business is around and that's what their course is around like it started to become this weird almost like mlm multi-level marketing structure type world um and and the specific spark that set me off was I was reading this book. It was self-published. And uh, and the author was presenting this same concept around pa- passion, that if you pursue it, if you follow it, if you build a business around it, you're going to wake up happy every single day and life is going to be amazing and unicorns will exist and, and everybody will be happy. And <laughs> as, as we know, that's not the case. Um, that is not how passion works. You could pursue something you're passionate about, but you're still going to have those days where you're just frustrated and you don't want to do it. Uh, but that's not how the industry presented it. In addition to which, now this particular author, uh, he, he he was interesting because he was sharing uh, this concept that, that if you follow your passion, you're going to be happy. Uh, and then he was giving stories of of these different people in it in the book that followed their passion and here they were in a really great place. But I happen to know because I know these people that they came from some degree of privilege. They came from a scenario where they had a safety net. And and so he was sort of presenting this story without presenting the the other side of it. And I realized, hey, if somebody reads this book and they don't have that context, they're going to think that all they have to do is quit their job and pursue their passion and everything will work out. And obviously that's not the case. That's just not how it works. It, it's something you have to earn. It's a privilege. And so 
I wanted to create a show that focused instead in, instead of the the big fluffy messages or the find your passion or whatever it was, it focused exclusively on what can you do today? What are the habits, the the tactics, the behaviors you can engage in that will allow you to gain the skills, gain the, the uh, network, gain the knowledge, whatever it is you need to put you in a position to pursue your passion or lose weight or make more money or whatever your end goal is. That's fabulous. And, and you know, that um, you brought up a good point. Have you heard of a survivor bias? Yes. Yes, I have. That's literally what you're describing, mm-hmm. at least to a point. When we look out in the world and we look at all the life hackers, because I kind of feel like that's what you're pushing a little bit against is the whole life hacking, how to hack this, how to hack yeah. that. Um, when we look at them and we go, well, Tim Ferriss, he's so successful. Every one of these, um, Dave Asprey, they're so successful. It's like, well, no, you're only looking at the ones who have a platform because they're successful. There's a hundred thousand others who never went anywhere Mm -hmm. and you just don't see them. And that's the whole survivor bias. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely true. And it's, it's unfortunate because I think in general, no one necessarily wants it to be easy but they want to think that the reason people are where they are is because of what they're doing now. And they forget that they got there by doing something else entirely. Right. And also we have a habit again, I'm going to pick on Tim Ferriss because he's big enough can handle. <laughs> I have a podcast. Tim Ferriss has a podcast. I should have the downloads that Tim Ferriss does. Oh, wait, right. no. Because Tim Ferriss, before he started a podcast, was an international best-selling author, world-renowned. And by the way, before that, he was an investor in Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley. And before that, he had built things. So I shouldn't be comparing myself to Tim Ferriss now. I should be comparing myself to Tim Ferriss in 1999. Exactly. Exactly. And so the the purpose of my show, and I I think to some degree to accomplish this, to others, to other degrees, it's it's, uh, grown into something else. The, the purpose was to create something that focused on on the now, the day-to-day behaviors, the things you can control. And and now it's, it is still that, but it's turned even more so uh, into being for the person who hears all the self-helpy stuff, hears all the personal development stuff, and thinks that's not for me because of the way it is presented, because of the, the industry behind it, whatever it is. My show, my book, everything that I'm doing in that space is for that person to recognize that, hey, developing yourself and improving yourself, th- those are good things. Like it doesn't have to be this industry where you spend $6,000 to go see Tony Robbins. Like that doesn't have to be it. It could just be, what's my goal for this month? Great. Let me take an action every single day towards it. That's awesome. And that actually makes me think of, um, I'm also a runner, believe it or not. Oh, so then you're but, perfect for this. <laughs> well, running, is, there's some dirty secrets with the running. Number one, most runs suck. Yep. Even if you like running. And it actually feeds into the addiction because of that. I will run and it's a, it's a slog every single time, almost. But then there's that one out of eight or one out of 10 where it just, God, everything clicks Mm -hmm. and it feels so good and you're flying and everything is just great. 
And to me, that is the perfect junkie maneuver yeah. because you're always chasing that one good run or versus if it was always the same, it would, you would get bored. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But again, with the running, um, it's a perfect metaphor with what you're describing. You don't go and say, you know what? I'm going to run a marathon in a month and then just go mm-hmm. run. You first need to run a mile yeah. before you can run 26.2. Yeah. And by the way, that's actually uh, one of the things I talk about in the Tiny Leaps, Big Changes book is uh, this. So I actually give that example of running a marathon, but it could be uh, climbing a mountain. It could be losing weight. It could be getting out of debt, whatever it is. Uh, one, it does sort of need to be the that that progressive approach to it. Like you, you've got to run a mile before you can run 26. You, you've got to run a half marathon before you can run a full marathon. Um, but in addition to that, before you can even decide that that's possible for you, so we need to we need to scale it back even even uh, further. Who is this person mm-hmm. who is, uh, let's say, slightly overweight? Like they they have they've never been in great shape. They don't work out often. They don't eat well. They're not going to ever think that they could run a marathon. The truth is, they could. Like it's it's possible for them to do it. It's going to take a crap ton of work, but but they could do it. Um, however, in their minds, that's not an option. That's not a direction their life can go in. So before you can ever even get to the point of, well, I can't run a marathon right now and, and I need to run a mile first, you first need to uh, tackle this question of thinking of yourself as the type of person who goes for runs. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is you don't need to even run a mile. But if you go out once a week or one time, once a month, where you just run a quarter mile, one lap around the track, all of a sudden you start to think of yourself more as someone who runs. And that's what's going to get you to go back out for the next run because you want to act in accordance with that identity, that version of yourself that you think of yourself as. And and so or even exactly. And and so or or you could do that. Um and and so if somebody's out there and they're like Oh, I, I find it so cool that people are able to run marathons and uh, I'm so inspired by this, but that could never be me. If, if that person is listening, which by the way, they are, all oh, you sure. need to do is start to create that identity. And that could be as simple as not even going for a run. That could be as simple as watching a running video that starts to shift the way you think about yourself and about your place in the world. And that could be enough to get you to, to actually go outside and, and run 0.1 of a mile. And then the next time 0.12 and then the next time a quarter mile, then the next time like it's, it's progressive, but before you even get to the progression, you need to first get to, to the identity of it. Yeah. I was in the um, army at one time and they say crawl, walk, run. That's kind of the uh, guidance they give for, all training. Yeah, that makes sense. And I actually would definitely throw walking in there. Of course. Because before you worry about it, go walk a well, mile. Well, yeah. Every walk a mile. And while you're walking, then maybe run yeah. a block. Well, so even and that, though, that'll like, it it, that just goes back to the, the progression thing, the crawl, walk, run. So uh, uh-huh. before you can have the identity of someone who runs, you need to have the identity of someone who is active. Right. Who goes outside? Who, who goes outside? And before that, you need to have the identity of someone who who gets up off the couch, and like mm-hmm. it, it's there's a progression in every stage of it. 
Now, one thing um, that I think would help the audience a lot, what are some markers or signs to tell them, hey, you're succeeding? So this is one that I struggle with. Um, I struggle with personally and I struggle to, to explain and uh, it's tough because especially if you are approaching your goals with sort of that progressive like tiny leaps mentality, um, by the time you get there, your goalposts have likely shifted. Because in general, right. if you are progressing through life and, and you are taking that under control, you are purposefully doing it, uh, you are likely the type of person who who is ambitious, who has goals for themselves, who is who is trying to be better. And that just means that by the time you get to that place that you originally set, you now need to be thinking of, well, what's better from this? And and so the, the goalposts mm-hmm. move. So what I found to work for myself is less about looking at, well, am I succeeding or, or not? And asking that question uh, in that way, and more so about writing down what my goal is and checking it regularly. And and so if once a month I'm looking back on what I wrote a month ago, I can very clearly tell, well, does my life match this or not? That's good. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because first you've got to always target the next thing, but you also don't want to, um, shall we say, be Lucy in the football to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. You definitely don't. Because you can you can Charlie Brown yourself and just be like, you're never actually satisfied. Don't you need to kind of stop and, and celebrate that, that win here and there? Like, oh, I did run that first marathon. Yeah, of course. Let me, let me enjoy this moment. Of course. Let me hold it. And I'm not saying to stop there, but I'm saying if we can't check in, we can kind of put ourselves on a hamster wheel, can't yeah. we? Yeah, and so that's why I'm a big fan of things like tracking, things like, like that. That's why I love tech. That's why I love the ability to see a very clear progression. Like if I can look back, for example, with podcasting, if I can look back, sort my download numbers over the last six months, and I see a very clear path up and to the right, I can feel mm-hmm. really good regardless of what the individual numbers are, I can know that, hey, we are growing. We are we are making progress. And I can take pride in just that progress, regardless of if I hit the goal specifically. Um, and, and so being able to, to keep track of what your goals used to be and, and being able to review that, that's the only way that you're ever going to realize whether or not you've, you've achieved it. Because by the time you do, you aren't consciously paying attention to that goal anymore. And, and so... You're 100% right. Taking time to, to uh, show gratitude, to be thankful, to recognize what you've done well, even if it wasn't even completing the goal. Maybe you only got 75% of the goal. But if you can take the time to, to look at those pieces of it and say, hey, six months ago, this is what I wrote down as my goal. Now, six months later, like I've accomplished 75% of it. That's a moment that is worth celebrating. It is a moment that is worth taking the time to say, hey, good freaking job. Now, it depends on your personality, how much you celebrate. You like that could just be a pat on the back or it could be let's pop champagne. It depends. And it depends what you want sure. for yourself. But 100% you should be taking the time to recognize what you've done well, because otherwise, what's the point? Like, Why <laughs> exactly. are we progressing if we're never actually seeing the benefits of it? 
I totally agree. And I'm going to keep beating on the running metaphor because I'm a simple person. <laughs> um, one thing that happened throughout my running is as I became proficient at finishing races, I started to lead pace groups. And are you familiar yes. with pace groups at all? I actually got a great deal of joy by being a pace group leader because while I was completing the race myself with the pace group, I actually felt like I was actually finishing the race X number of times, however many people who are with right. me. Now you currently help others with podcasting and running a business. Would you consider that to maybe be a, a pace group for you in podcasting? Yeah, I would absolutely think that. Um, I, I mean, there's two big benefits that I think come from that for me, or three, uh, if you count sort of like the business benefits. Um, but benefit number one is I get to stay very rooted in what it's like to be a new podcaster. Uh, whether I'm doing launches for a show or I'm taking over a show that that uh, already exists and we're trying to stimulate some growth in it, um, it, it gets very difficult I have my own show and I can use that to experiment and see what is working, what's actually valuable, what's not. And thankfully, I, it also means I have a very large group of people who identify as podcast listeners to get feedback from and survey and figure out, well, what's a waste of time. Um, but if that's all I had, it would be really challenging to understand what download numbers typically look like. And what, what audience sizes typically look like and what number you need to be at to, to consider it a success or a failure or any of those things. Um, and, and so being able to work with smaller shows and, and get them launched and uh, start seeing growth in them and all of those things, not only is it fulfilling to know that this process that I've created has has helped this person get results, especially when that person has tried podcasting before and struggled and decided it's not for them, but I get to be the person who changes their mind because I showed them that it works. Uh, that's huge. That's amazing. But it's also it also serves as a, a way for me to keep myself rooted in what it's like to actually be a podcaster on the ground in your like heads down, just trying to grind it out and make it work. Also, podcasting. Have you found that? Sorry, say that one more time. Podcasting is lonely. Oh, it's very lonely. It's, if you think about it, it's, you are sitting in wherever you record with a microphone in front of you and hoping that somebody's listening on the other side. It's incredibly lonely. And the industry itself, like we we're starting to form a stronger community and we're starting to be there for each other. But outside of the conferences, outside of the Facebook group messages, uh, there's, there's not much and, and that will change in the future, but because it, it doesn't have the same degree of discussion capabilities that something like a YouTube video has meaning leaving comments and so on and so forth. Like it can be incredibly lonely and it can, it can, it can make it very easy to start to question, is this worth it or not? Now, do you find helping the other podcasters helps mitigate that? Because you can focus not only on, on your own condition or loneliness or whatever, but also on helping support them and, and cheering them on saying, no, no, that episode is 
freaking fantastic. And here's what you did here. And you can get that nice feedback from them and a good positive loop. Yeah. I think that, uh, even with the clients that I don't directly work with. So at the company, we have a a gentleman who handles most of like the one-on-one coaching now. Um, even with, with those clients, I find it incredibly rewarding to know that their show is, first of all, it exists uh, and, and maybe they've been debating for a while and now they finally have one. Uh, but two, we're adding more people to the community. We are expanding what podcasting is and what it's used for and who it serves. And over time, that's only going to make it less and less lonely. That's only going to 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 help improve the the community and the communication that we all get to have. Not to mention on on a much more micro day to day level, uh, I do get to send these people emails congratulating them on things and uh, specifically talking about a great episode they did or a great question they asked or or whatever it is. Like I do get to provide them with the degree of support that. I wish I had when I first started. And and that's been incredibly that that's been a good feeling to know that maybe they feel slightly less lonely than I did when I first started. Now, of course it wouldn't be me if I didn't contradict myself, but there's the opposite side of the equation that maybe podcasting is a little bit crowded. Um, speaking with Dave Jackson, a famous podcaster, we were discussing the um, good news, bad news. The good news is it's never been easier to start your own podcast. The bad news is it's never been easier to start your own podcast. (laughs) And I have some concerns personally. So anytime I get somebody in industry, be it Dave Jackson, James Cridlin, Jordan Harbinger, you, I always want to bend your ears on what I see as a a problem. And at podcast movement, they brought out those Edison numbers. Mm-hmm. Do you see the problem that we have in there that was 68% of Americans? And I'm using America because that's right, right. where I am and what I think. Um, 68% have heard of a podcast, but of those numbers, only like 40% of them have actually listened to one in the past yeah. month. Of that, it's like it starts to get down to like 9, 10% are regular listeners. Mm-hmm. Those are t- terrible. Of course. And here's, uh, so I have recognized this problem and it's something that I, I recently spoke at the outliers podcasting festival out in Cali. And, um, it's something that I, I got into a good conversation with a few people there about because what we as podcasters need to recognize, I think people are trying to sort of spread this hope that the industry is growing and more and more people are listening and blah, yada, yada, yada. And there is truth to that. However, mm-hmm there will always be a limit on how many people will listen to podcasts. There just is going to be, unfortunately. And and this is going to come from the fact that like there's there's two big reasons for it. First of all, it would it's shocking how many people out there are not able to consume just audio. Like that's not a way that they can learn, it's not a thing they can focus on. It's not how their brain processes in, information. And and so sure. what that means is there will always be a very large chunk of people who know about podcasting and just choose not to consume it. 
Um, and the example I always give here that I find funny is uh, I've been hosting this show for two and a half years. It, it's, uh, it generates about a quarter million downloads a month and does extremely well. My girlfriend has never listened to an episode unless she was in the room when I recorded it. <laughs> my wife has never listened. Exactly. To and and so there there's always going to be this group that just can't consume it. Um, and then beyond that, podcasting as a whole is competing with music, which obviously has a much larger uh, market share on on found time. Now, forget radio, forget audiobooks, because both of those are struggling as well. Music isn't going to go anywhere. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going out for a run, if I'm if I'm commuting, I much prefer listening to music. Like I just do. So I'm the opposite, but right. And there are that's... there are definitely some people that are opposite. I would argue though that the vast majority of the population aren't. At least maybe not yet. Maybe they will they will change. And I hope I'm wrong about this. But I do think, I think that that's true. I do think that there will be a cap on how many people are are consumers of this. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like that that's not necessarily a, 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 a an issue. I just think that we need to start being much more realistic about it because it's not going to be the next Netflix. It's not going to be the next TV. It's just not. Would you agree to, because what I found is that podcasting has a Wayne's world stigma, that it is like basic access cable for radio and amateur. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. And that celebrities are actually making it worse because they get told by their publicists, you need to have a podcast. They're huge. Mm -hmm. And then they create a podcast. They really don't care that much about it. It is an art form and they just kind of dial it in. People listen to their show and they're like, Oh, it sucks. And then they respond and they go, well, it's just a podcast. Yeah. This isn't a real yeah. art. Well, so I actually think you and I had this conversation at podcast movement. Um, when we, when we met in the hallways, I agree a hundred percent. I do. I think that celebrities getting into podcasting is a bad thing. No, but I think a respect for the medium needs to be there. And, and as you said, an, an effort to create something as opposed to it just being a bonus. Um, because what ends up happening is the new people that are discovering podcasts, they're going based on, well, what's the top ranked show? And a lot of them are celebrity shows. They're shows that companies built for the purposes of sales or that they're shows that exist with an agenda outside of creating a good thing. And so if that's your first introduction to podcasting, you're going to find it hard to come back. And, and of course, that's going to hurt the industry. Uh, do I think that there is some potential spillover good from that? Possibly. I mean, if if a major celebrity launches a show and it's okay, that could be the thing that sparks interest in, in certain people to find other shows. Uh, but right. I think largely it's it's probably doing more damage than good, especially if it's as you explained it, their agent or their publicist or whomever saying, hey, you got to start a podcast. Like that doesn't do that much good for the industry. I don't think so. And and I guess there's that, that flip side to that too. Like um, um, Anchor.fm, I actually interviewed the CEO yeah. of the company, has been under fire mm -hmm. a lot. 
but I can see both good and bad from them with a good being they're getting people in to start a podcast. And many of these people who come in, well, they're only going to do three episodes. I know that or five, but hopefully they're telling all their friends and family who maybe don't currently listen to podcasts to please check out their show. And when they do that, while the people are there, they go, what's this serial thing? I think I heard that in the news. Or what's this NPR thing? NPR is supposed to be good or or whatever. And then maybe then suddenly we've got another podcast. Out. Right. Yeah. And so I think that 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 is the part of Anchor that I like. Like, I actually think as a platform, they're fine. I, I'm, I'm glad that they're making it as easy as possible to launch shows. Uh, I have other issues with them, but that it's whatever. Uh, it doesn't really matter as long as they they are doing what they're trying to do and to each their own. Um, but I do think that that could be a, a good effect of platforms like that is, as you said, somebody launches a show, they start to promote it to their group of six, 12, 15 people. And that potentially uh, drives more, maybe one or two of them becomes like diehard podcast listeners. Uh, now that's a slow right. growth for the industry, obviously, but that that could work my concern is going back to the quality issue uh if that person's first experience of podcasting is a show that maybe isn't good because of like production reasons but also doesn't Mm -hmm. sound good because of the methodology that anchor uses to record episodes uh, that could potentially do more damage so we'll have to see how it shakes out yeah, and that's so hard because let's be honest, when we start podcasting, we suck. Yeah, of course. My show, and my first it, show it was is, terrible. Right. Well, and that's that's the nature of things. You cannot be good at podcasting without podcasting. Yeah. So it's it's like you have to suck for a <laughs> while. You have Absolutely. to and and sadly, you kind of have to do it in a very public yeah. way. <laughs> I I kind of think about um uh, I had an audiobook narrator on and I thought it was sort of brilliant, but he booked himself using ACX and early books under a pseudonym. Oh, so he could go, go and I hate to say stink up the yeah. time or whatever, but he, he could learn his craft right. by doing books. You know, they can't afford it and they're smaller books or whatever. And he got better over time. So he, he could do that. So maybe we need to have the pseudonymous, um, <laughs> Is that even a word on podcast? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> get out there. It could be really interesting, actually. That could be a good approach to it. Yeah, because I, I really don't know. I, I, I'm learning every day. I'm learning right now just talking to you. And hopefully in six months, I'll, I'll look back and cringe. <laughs> so moving forward, we have a book coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Next month, right? Uh, January 15th. So it is available for... About a month. Yeah, yeah, about about a month. So it's available for pre-order now. Uh, So Amazon, Barnes, and anywhere that you buy your books, you can pre-order it. It's called Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Same name as the podcast. And uh, my purpose with it, and and you know this, Eric, a lot of podcasters, when they do do a book, either self-published or they get a deal, um, they do this thing where they 
just sort of turn old episodes into the content. Maybe they'll add some new stuff, but it's it's largely rehashed info. And that was my one rule for myself was I could not do that. I, I needed to create something that if this was if those if a listener were to read this, they would feel like, wow, this is wholly new stuff. And if a, a new person were to be introduced to it, they could then go listen to the podcast and and feel like they they aren't doubling up. And so oh, the, cool. the purpose of the book, the the way its approach is is set up, is largely focused on goal setting and and trying to bridge this gap between why many of us knows exactly what to do, but don't do it. Like, why is it that we 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 can learn all these things? We know what needs to happen, but we don't take the action. And and so throughout the book, we'll explore that question. We'll bring in some psychological tools, some some ec- economic principles, some some math and statistics principles, and and just sort of roll it all into to you and figure figuring out well, how do we actually go about setting a proper goal, and then how do we actually go about taking action on that goal, and then finally, how do we track our progress on it? And and so that's the the arc of the book and. I just got back uh, yesterday and, and, and Friday, or rather Friday and uh, Thursday, recording the audiobook version of it. And that was my next it's, question. It's, it's killer, <laughs> man. It is. I worked with some fantastic directors, some fantastic engineers, and it is going to be bonkers good. And you know what? I got to point this out. Thank you for doing that because it drives me crazy. We have podcasts yeah, who don't read their who are own releasing book. their books. And Excuse me. <laughs> we know you because we listen to you. Yeah. A lot of us don't read books, okay? We listen to books. Yeah. It, it's a medium. And it, it does drive me a little bit crazy. It's like, if you have a book, I actually would argue, if you release an audio book before your printed copy, I'd understand mm. that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, thankfully, I think they're both going to be available at the same time. So Which you could buy the... So Kindle and the Audible, and then you can get Kindle, notes. the Audible. You could get the soft cover. The you, I mean, paperback. You you can do whatever you want. You could buy twelve copies if you wanted to. I'm not going to stop you. So uh, you don't even have to read them, right? Just, just buy, buy twelve copies, <laughs> hand it out to random strangers on the street. <laughs> yes, I always encourage that. That's like I encourage everybody to um, go to all their friends' phones and subscribe to my yeah. show. I'm perfectly fine. Yeah, with of that. course. I'm not going to stop you. I won't be mad if you do that. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think it, I think it is a a, a fantastic uh, exploration of some really really interesting ideas, and there are there's there's a lot of what you've probably heard from the self help mm-hmm. industry in there, but I've taken a very unique approach to them and really tried to link it to the core of human behavior and why we do what we do. So for anyone that that sounds interesting to, uh, if you want Absolutely. a free copy or rather a, a free uh, chapter, the first chapter, just to whet your appetite, see if it's for you, head over to tinyleapsbook.com. It's tinyleapsbook.com. And you can enter your email, enter your name. I'll send that over to your email uh, once, I, once I get the submission. And you can read the first chapter. If you dig it, then go pick up the book. Buy 12 of them. That's awesome. It's available on audio. It's available on Kindle. It's available uh, paperback. And and it's it's something that I'm really proud of. And while you're at it, everybody, do subscribe to his podcast, even if I mutilated the name at the beginning. Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, and that's actually... Uh, 
in addition to the free chapter, that's probably the easiest way that you can sort of get a feel for for my content and, and how I tackle things is just wherever you're listening to this show, do a search, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, subscribe, listen to an episode or two. And once you do, you're going to be like, dang, I need this book. This is awesome. Well, fantastic. And I look forward to hearing or getting my copy here soon. I really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Really, really an honor. And, and to those of you listening, thank you for, for sharing your time with me. It really means a lot. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.